Come on. The strong, the powerful Mitzi Purdue has returned to Lifeblood. Welcome back, Mitzi. Oh, what a joy to be back. I love this. So excited to have you back on. Mitzi is a businesswoman. She is an author, a master master storyteller, a speaker, philanthropist. Her father was the co-founder of Sheraton Hotels. Her Her late husband was Frank Purdue of Purdue Farms. She is an expert on helping people to make their family businesses last. Mitzi, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Ooh, why I do what I do. Um, I can't help myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'll, I'll give a more serious answer to that. Um, I got really influenced by a biblical story of the talents, um, and basically that we, if you can, we, we should, how to, how to put this, the good that we can do, we must do. Mm. And that, and that if you have some talents, you really ought to use them. That's that is a uh, one of my favorite sayings. Is 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 along those lines? It's it's what I can be, I must be. That's essentially the same oh, thing. Yeah, I mean, actually, my wish for humanity is that everybody gets to be all that they can be. Because I think therein lies happiness. I, I think people are happier if they're contributing, and. And part of happiness is using your skills at their highest level. Mm-hmm. Using our skills at our highest level. And by the way, that doesn't happen all the time, but when it does, it's great. That's that's sort of what I was thinking, right? It's it's difficult. Why is that difficult to figure out, do you think? Uh, how... Well, I think an awful lot depends on luck, but then I'm also in favor of putting yourself in the way of luck. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I just finished a book, which uh, it, it will come out probably in time for Christmas, but it, it has to do with putting yourself in the way of luck. So tell me a little bit about that. Thank you. I was just itching for you to ask me about it. <laughs> no, I've, I've just been uh, writing a book and it's been accepted. I, you know, like maybe 80 seconds before coming on your show, I pressed click to send the information for the back cover of it. So that's how hot off the press it is. Nice. But it's uh, it's about Frank Perdue and things that I got to watch up close and personal of how he achieved success. And the conclusion, I'll, I'll tell you, I mean, you don't even have to read the book. Here's the, here's the bottom line of the whole thing, except you do have to read the book. Um, no, um, the the bottom line of my analysis as Frank Perdue's widow, the chicken man, uh, was that he developed a tremendous talent stack. He learned to do um, each each part of the talent stack was probably pretty easy to do, but when you put them all together, it meant that he grew a company from no employees to twenty thousand employees, and. Uh, he built a Fortune 500 size company, and he did it not because he was extraordinarily outstanding in any one thing, but that when you put together all the averages of of what he did do, uh, it it helped create success on a spectacular scale. What was it about about Frank that allowed him, or forced him, or drove him to to stack talent? Oh, I think, 
I, I think I invented a word, but it probably exists elsewhere. It's called informivore, and that means where you devour knowledge. And by the way, uh, listening to podcasts would certainly be something that he would have endorsed. He always felt that one good idea can change your life, and if you have a whole assortment of good ideas, uh, it can take you farther than you ever dreamed. And yeah, some of the things that I write about in in my book on his on his success was like here's one that absolutely everybody can do, and in theory it's easy, except that I try it all the time and I, I flunk right and left. But nevertheless, here's what it is. <laughs> I used to notice, yeah, during our entire marriage, that he would listen 90% of the time and talk 10% of the time. And there, there are huge advantages of that because you're going to learn a lot and you're going to make the other person feel important. And you know, the, the, the more knowledge you have, the better decisions you can make. So I, I endorse for absolutely everybody. Uh, listen much more than you speak. And by the way, he'd listen to people at all levels. I mean, he could be listening to a college intern or the president of the United States. He was listening. And when he was listening, it was full on 100% listening. It wasn't just, um, hmm, what am I going to say next? No, you were the entire focus of his universe at the time that he was talking to you or with you, to you, with you. I've uh, I I I think that our undivided attention is one of the greatest gifts that we can give another human being, and it sounds like it sounds like Frank was excellent at that. Yeah, I used to notice that. Um, I mean, it was as if he was enveloping you in a force field of his positive attention, and I think that would be extremely motivating for a person because it makes you feel important when somebody's listening to you. I mean, it was it was just a great skill to have, and uh, as I said, I flunk right and left, but I try. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, amen to that, and that's probably talking about put yourself in the way of luck. It's not going to work out for you a lot of the time. Maybe it's only going to work out a small percentage of the time, but consistently doing it, then you're positioning yourself for that potential success and luck. Yeah, you know, another thing that he was just really good at was He'd make people feel important. And part of that importance, you know, comes from listening. But, you know, another thing that he did, which I recommend to everybody, he was, for the people who worked with him, and there were 20,000 at the end of his days, for the people who worked for him, or worked with him, as he would put it, but at every level, uh, if somebody was critical or had negative information, you know, stuff that he probably wouldn't want to hear, those were the people he listened to most. And the people who advanced farthest in the company were the ones who would uh, resist him or, or give him bad news because he had no use for yes men. If, if, if you wanted to get ahead with Frank, you know, be real, be honest. And what he was good at it was listening to when somebody would tell him, you know, an unpleasant truth. He was just plain good at that. And I think it's such a danger for people to listen only to the things that eh, that they want to hear. It, you, I think you're much closer to making reality-based decisions if you're really good at hearing the people who disagree with you. 
And I I'd certainly, I, I agree with that. And whether it's true or not, my perception right now with what's going on in the country and around the world is that I'm only interested in hearing the things that I'm interested in hearing and then seeking out the information that confirms what I already believe and think. How would you well, coach? But, I'm going to respond to that. Please. Because that was also something that I, as Frank's widow, would know that nobody would know, and we're talking probably eh, decades ago, where there was a politician that I just absolutely couldn't bear. And when he'd come on the screen, my instinct was to run away so I wouldn't have to hear this awful person. Hmm. Frank's reaction was, uh, you shouldn't be voting unless you listen to both sides. You know, as as a citizen, you have to hear both sides. And I've, I've noticed, you know, both in what he'd <laughs> listened to on the air, but also the newspapers he read. It, it would be you know, exposing all sides. And yeah, you know, that's something that I aspire to. And again, I flunk right and left because I think I'm as guilty as anybody you could name of wanting to hear this stuff that makes me feel good and that agrees with my worldview. But I think he was probably a lot closer to reality, which means you make better decisions than the person who only hears one side. We all have the same amount of, 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 of time, obviously, in a day, um, and I like to think about, or I, I, I think a, a good amount about, how to be a good steward of our time and our attention, um, and I imagine that Frank was, is, was, was excellent at those. Uh, yes, but something else about Frank, again, that I, I as his widow, know he had a different relationship with time from the rest of the world, as far as I can tell, because I'll, I'll give you just one example of of how I, I would be surprised if there are many people in the world who somebody could honestly tell this story about. I used to notice that, say, when we had an appointment of some sort, uh, yeah, he would be there pretty much to the second. Uh, in fact, since I'm kind of, I'm, I'm really big on being trying to be prompt. So, so that part wasn't surprising. But here's a story that just absolutely rings true. It's not my story. It's a guy who's a trucker. And this guy had a meeting with Frank. The guy was uh, at the office headquarters and Frank called him to say, I'll be there in seven minutes and 30 seconds. <laughs> the trucker told Frank's uh, executive assistant, you know, he's kidding, isn't he? Nobody's accurate to the second. And Elaine Barnes said, no, you'll see. He will walk through the door seven minutes and 30 seconds from now. And lo and behold, seven minutes and 30 seconds from <laughs> Frank walked through the door. Tell me if there's anybody who calibrates their time to the second, or at least to the 32nd. I, I, I don't think that I know anyone. So what's, what's, what's the trick slash secret? Oh, I'm not sure I can tell the... Well, I guess what I'm going to say is that, that he valued time more precisely and I think got more out of the 24 hours than most people do because he was calibrating it, you know, to, to, half, a, to half a minute, yeah, 30 seconds. That's, but that, that, that was absolutely consistent with him our whole life together. And I, I think, you know, if, if I weren't fairly conscientious about time, we couldn't have had a happy marriage because time was just so important to him. How interesting, right? I, you, you read about how, how the average human being 
their mind wanders half the time. And so if you feel like you don't have enough time in the day, well, maybe just dig into the time you actually do have and be a little bit more cognizant of, of what you're thinking about and, and how you're spending it. Uh, all I can say in response is, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. So from zero to 20,000 employees to fortune hundreds of companies, um, being being real, being honest, being an excellent listener, being uh, somebody who really appreciated and valued his time precisely. What are some of the other big takeaways? Well, if you had asked him the secret of his success, you yeah. know, one of the things he'd just tell you right off is, uh, it's not me, it's the people who, who I work with, that I'm, I'm blessed to be surrounded by smart, brilliant, hardworking people. But to my mind, that raises the question, well, what did you do to influence them to want to go the extra mile for you and stay with you for life, which generally they did. And I, I even listed some of the things that I saw that made people feel important because part of leadership is getting people to see things your way, but it's a two-way street. You have to show them a lot of respect and, and value them. And yet one of the things that I noticed he did, and again, uh, I'm going to be saying something that's uh, do as I say, not as I do. Mm-hmm. But because what I'm going to share is, you know, it's something to aspire for, and I try for, but I sure don't succeed at Frank's level. Uh, learn people's names. When we visit a factory, and during the time of our marriage, there were 16 processing plants. Wherever would go, the number of names he knew was just simply. St- Staggering. I bet he knew thousands and thousands of names, but even better, he'd often know something about the person, like now Delcy's been with us for 32 years. Norton's son just got into college. You know, he, he would call people by name and he'd introduce me to them and he'd tell me something about them. And you know, the amount of mental effort that goes into that kind of memory, I mean, he was naturally gifted at it, but but he sure used it. And by the way, I noticed that uh, that Jim Perdue, who now heads the company, has that gift also. The number of names he knows is spectacular. And I think I've improved over the years watching Frank's example because it means so much to people. It, it, uh, there's, there's a quote from a famous uh, psychiatrist from like 120 years ago named William James. William James said, and this is really important, the deepest principle of human nature is the craving for appreciation. And when you show somebody that you know their name, you're giving them appreciation. But he did, he did other things that would uh, make people feel important and, and valued and treasured. Uh, like something that we did that I thought was just magnificent, and I don't know of any other company the size of a Fortune 500 size company, we had, from the beginning of our marriage, the goal of entertaining every single person who worked for the company to have them have dinner at our home. Wow. And would, would have them 100 at a time, usually three times a month. And at these, at these dinner parties, it was a buffet. Frank would often stand behind the buffet line and serve his employees. I mean, imagine the humility of that. 
the egalitarianism of that the you know you're important and i totally value you and you know you're worth my time it you know the message it would communicate to people and i'm not guessing because they would tell me and i even i've been at funerals where the next of kin would tell me that one of the most meaningful things in the deceased life was being entertained for dinner at frank purdue's home cool it's amazing those stories about human beings who are able to do that, who are able to remember not just a face, but also a name and then details about the person, that, that to me is just astonishing. And Well, but it does take effort. I mean, that, for sure. And, and he was willing to make that effort. Yeah, recognizing what you've been talking about is our craving for appreciation, our craving of being recognized and, um, and wanting that amazing. A, what is not a small effort on 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 his part, but um, a smaller effort had potentially this massive impact where people are are coming up to you at at a funeral and saying, you know, this 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 small interaction or coming to dinner was one of the biggest events that that he or she had ever been a part of. What a powerful thing! Yeah, and we had people, yeah, from. From throughout the company, I mean, it could be truckers, it could be veterinarians, it could be administrative assistants. I mean, everybody. It, I mean, it was just so cool. At the end of these dinners, uh, Frank would stand up in front of his employees and he'd tell them what was going on in the company. You know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, the, we lost the such and such contract. We gained the such and such contract. What, or this genetic research has gone wonderfully. And imagine what it means if you're an employee, and we call them associates, imagine if you're an associate and you hear from the big boss, the guy whose name is on your paycheck, the inside stuff of what's going on in the company. Uh, I mean, I think it, it, it increases your sense of engagement. And Frank was really good at, at that. Yeah, amen. Well, Mitzi, I, I know that another one of your passions is philanthropy and you're working on human trafficking. Tell me a little bit about that. Okay, I expect to spend the rest of my days doing everything that's within my power to help combat human trafficking. The United Nations has set us a goal that by 2030 that we eliminate human trafficking. Well, how do you do it? And I have a somewhat different approach from what, I mean, the United Nations recognizes 20,000 organizations that are fighting human trafficking. And I guess I should back up for a second and say how serious the problem is. There are 40 million people who are enslaved today through human trafficking. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just unthinkable. It's it's more than in at, at the height of the uh, at the horrible Atlantic slave trade. Yeah, you know, am I talking 200 years ago? There were 15 million people. Today it's 40 million people, and it's the fastest growing criminal enterprise in the world. Well, so how do how do you fight it? And the organization that I founded, and I hope people, uh, if, if you're listening, get a pencil ready, because I want to give you something to text. Uh, our approach is, how do, you, how do you prevent it to begin with? Well, it's a $150 billion a year industry, and to sort of cut the head off the snake, how can you make it less profitable? And here's how. Uh, anti-money laundering. And money laundering is, you know, I'm going to guess some people aren't familiar with it because I sure as heck wasn't when I first started getting into this. But with money laundering, if you have illegally obtained money, like you're trafficking four girls in Manhattan and you're making a million dollars a year, 
you can't spend that cash. You just can't. You'll come to the attention of the feds if you spend $10,000 in cash. So you have to launder dirty money and turn it into clean money. And yeah, there are a vast number of ways of doing that. But anytime you can stop it or slow it down, or as I call it, put sand in the gears, you can make trafficking less attractive as a career. And so that's what when this fight is doing. And if anybody would like to know more, I'm going to invite them. Yeah, you, Mr. Ms. Listener, uh, please text uh, to five five three one two. Text win w i n. So text w i n to five five three one two, and that will take you to my website. And it's also going to invite you to donate five dollars. However, you don't have to. I, I care more that you come to the website uh, and learn what we're doing and what you can do and just the extent of the problem. I, I care a lot more about that than the $5. On the other hand, I'd sure like your $5. Sure. <laughs> For sure. That is a that is a, a staggeringly massive problem that I know too few people are aware of. So I'm certainly grateful for your work. Thank you so much. Mitzi, thank you so much for coming back on. Where can people pick up a copy of the book? Tell us a little bit about more more about that, and then give us the give us the way to connect with Win This Fight again. Okay, uh, the book it isn't out yet, but they're they're rushing it because they want it to be available in time for Christmas. Um, so how do I t- if if you'll if you'll go to winthisfight.org, it will tell you when the book is out. And, and I think, it, you know, I wrote it to be helpful to people. I want to give people like a shortcut to success. And, and they're, they're probably like, I think there are probably 80 tips in it that, of things that Frank had as part of his top talent stack. And if somebody will do even one of them, they're going to be ahead of the game. They do all of them, they'll be a Frank Purdue. But uh, for how to get hold of me, winthisfight.org or text W I N win to five five three one two. Perfect. Well, if you enjoyed this much as I did, show Mitzi your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Go to winthisfight.org and text win to five five three one two and donate five dollars for goodness sakes. Thanks again, Mitzi. Thank you so much. I've loved being your guest. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight as we are all in this together.